Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. And welcome to episode 81. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. In this episode, I'm so excited to revisit my discussion with jewelry designer and entrepreneur, Chris Nations. Chris and her sister, Kim, are the powerhouse duo behind the Chris Nations brand. And she shares how she has grown her business, made time for family, and found inspiration in her life. And I'm excited to share that April will be a month full of what I'm calling Look Back Lessons. In each episode, I'll be sharing new thoughts on how the discussion with a very memorable guest has stayed with me. Before we get to the discussion, I want to say hello and welcome, and I am so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and for joining me. I publish show notes with each episode that include links to the guest site, additional references, and some of my thoughts about the topics that are discussed. You can find them for this show at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 81. One of the things that I get a lot of questions about is how to start your own podcast. If you are curious about starting your own show, I've compiled a huge amount of the answers to many of those basic questions that I often get in my very free (laughs) podcasting fundamentals class. And it includes a cheat sheet that shares my suggestions for microphones, editing software, where to find intro music, and more. You can get this by visiting the website and clicking on the Start a Podcast button on the right-hand side of the page. It's just below my photo. When you do this, you'll also be placed on the VIP list to hear about when I open my next boot camp, which is an eight-week class, and that's going to be opening up in May. So let's get on to the theme for April, which is Look Back Lessons. I've found that over the last 80 episodes, there have been a handful of discussions that have very honestly changed my own way of thinking and my own trajectory. There is always an aha moment for me, and I mean that in absolutely in every interview. But I will say that some of the discussions I've had, I found that they've had a more profound impact on me or have stayed with me for longer than others. I've loved it in the past when I've listened to shows like Jess Lively's show, and when she shares a little bit more about what a show or an interview or a guest has meant to her. So I wanted to take the time to share three of the conversations that have really stayed with me. And to tell you a little bit more about how they've inspired me and brought joy into my life. What's so funny is that after I chose the three interviews to share this month, I also looked at my own site analytic and it just so happens that these three interviews are the ones that have had the most visits over the last year on the website. Chris Nation's originally joined me in season one on episode 50, and I have found myself thinking back to our conversation many times since then. I really loved this interview because of what Chris says about how she and her sister have worked together. She and her sister Kim run the company and they both have small children. Chris shares about how she and her sister have supported each other as they take time to very proportionately spend their time between two priorities, that being of their family and of the business that they both run. There's something very refreshing and openly accepting that they have realized that they are in a season of their lives where their time is limited and that their priorities are split. I think that so many times as women, 
we put the pressure on ourselves and on each other to push through these kinds of situations and just do it all. In Chris's case, she and her sister have had kids while they're working on building a business. They have honored that they are both splitting priorities for now. It doesn't mean that they aren't fiercely dedicated to both things. It just means that they are both honoring that they want and need to have time for both things in their lives. In thinking back on this, I think it's remarkable because it's something most of us don't do very well. We think we need to be all things to all people. And we don't tap the brakes on our lives when we find new things going on. I know I have done this, and I'm guessing that many of you have also tried to push through or power through when there are multiple priorities vying for your time. Especially when there's a big shift in your life and you want to add new things or you find that new things have been added to whatever you had had going on before. Say there's a new puppy, a new hobby, a new baby, a new responsibility with aging parents, or whatever it may be. You've added on something else, and instead of reprioritizing or looking back at everything that's on your to-do list, you just push forward thinking, I can do all of this, it's not that hard. What I loved about Chris is how she acknowledged the shift, and that she and her sister both lovingly accepted ways to make the season work. Yes, they want to say yes to their family and to their company. And yes, they see ways to make this work for them so that it doesn't mean pushing everything to the max. It can be okay if you focus on one thing over another. The other thing that may be vying for your attention, like your job, will be ready for you to focus on when you are ready to go back to it. With life events like having kids, I've learned that the days of my son being teeny tiny, well, those are gone. I remember thinking when he was a baby that there's only this one moment, that this second where he's, you know, sucking his thumb or playing with a specific toy or laughing his butt off about something that I'm doing, well, that only happens once and that second's never going to show up again. It's hard enough to juggle that and juggle the demands and really be able to sink into the joy of having a tiny human in your life. My work and the deadlines and projects there will always be around. It might mean being at a different company. It might mean taking a break and coming back later. Sometimes, though, there's that fear that if we step back or tap on the brakes, that that thing won't still be there for us later. I found out over the last year when I took the time to be a full-time coach and a podcaster and podcasting consultant, well, I found out that that wasn't true. My project management skills were still there and they were very marketable. I'm grateful that I took the time for that year and that my son and I got to have our summer of magic, which was what I called the summer before his kindergarten year. So I share this interview with Chris again so that you can take in her wisdom around making time for what's important right now and realizing that your priorities can shift and can change and you can still reintegrate the things you love back into your life after focusing on something else that you love. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have an interview with Chris Nations. I'm so excited to have you on the show, Chris. Welcome. Thank thank you. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Yeah. As a child, what were your early sparks of joy? I I grew up in El Paso, Texas, which is the westernmost point of Texas, and it borders Juarez, Mexico. So, and it's a little different from the rest of Texas in that we're in the desert, and it's sort of at the tail end. It's at the tail end of the Rocky Mountains, so it's like it's an surrounded by mountains and in the desert. And we lived sort of in a, behind our neighborhood, it was open at that time, an open space desert. So we would play in the desert. And my sister and I, I mean, looking back, we were kind of tomboys because we had dirt bikes 
and we would go dirt biking <laughs> and there was a tunnel that was actually water, like a water reservoir. And we would climb in there and looking back, I thought, I think if my kids did that, I would die because there could have been rattlesnakes or <laughs> yeah. scorpions or who knows what. And we would go enter this like water reservoir and end up in like a different neighborhood, <laughs> like <going through laughs> tunnel, you know, in our little dirt bikes. And we would just go dirt bike riding and go play in the desert. And that's when I think of my childhood, those are the things that I think of. That is wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I lived both in Arizona and then Minnesota for a while as a kid. So I understand both the, the desert <laughs> landscape and yeah. like it's it's beautiful and dry and, and yeah, there's snakes and stuff out there. But what you were mm-hmm. saying about like diving into or going into the little the tunnels, we used to build snow caves, so totally different. But now like that's a big no no. Like <laughs> you know, those things yeah. collapse on people. It's so yeah. Now like living here, we live near the beach, it's like sinkhole. Yeah. You are now located in Half Moon Bay, is that right? We're in Half Moon Bay. Yeah, we're just about a 20-minute drive from San Francisco. Yeah. For the listeners, I'm also East Bay, so we're not very far apart. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So I think that it's so interesting because your sister remains, I know, a big part of your life. Would you like to tell what you what it is that you do now? So I, I started the jewelry business about almost 12 years ago in San Francisco, and I kind of started designing the jewelry and then about maybe eight or nine years ago, my sister partnered with me to help with the business. And her background is she was an art director in an ad agency in the city in San Francisco. So she has come in and helped me just polish our business to, to bring it to where it is now. So she designed the website, designs our logo, is more of the sort of marketing and branding person. And then I'm doing the jewel, mostly the jewelry design and figuring out production and, and that type of thing. But it's loosely defined that way. But she also does help with the jewelry designing. And I also do help with, you know, sales and marketing. So we do kind of tag team things. And then especially over the years, my sister Kim has, she has a eight-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. And so as we've kind of grown our families over the years, we have been able to tag team. Like I, I took time off when I had my son who's four now, and she is just kind of ending her time away. Her daughter just turned one. So she's been able to work from home. And now that her daughter's one, she's going to kind of come back a little bit and have some part-time, you know, daycare for her daughter, but we've been able to support each other that way where we kind of keep the business going, but also grow our families. That's an advantage of, of having my sister as my business partner is that there's a lot of flexibility with what we need to do to help each other to make it work. I love that you guys are able to kind of do that dance together too. And like, there's that, in- yeah. I imagine inherent understanding, like, no, I've got this. Like, <laughs> you, need, yeah. you need to go be with your family. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of people always ask, like, how could you work with your sister? I could never work with my sibling, like we would fight and all of that. But I somehow, you know, I think we both have like a mutual goal and understanding and empathy for what each other is going through, because we're going through the same stuff. So it's like, oh, well, I had my time off with my son. And now it's her turn. And we're done having babies now. So so now we're kind of ready to get back into this uh, more, you know. Yeah. But um, it's definitely a balance, just like any any other working mom, you know, it's always a balance. 
how do you either break out the time? Because I think balance is one of those tricky words that we all, it's kind mm-hmm. of elusive and it's more of like an ebb and flow is what I find. But yep. how, have you, how have you managed to handle that? Or do you have any tips or advice yeah. for people that might be listening? Well, I, think, I think before I became a mom, I was just 100% in my business and just worried about my business and just constantly working all night long. And now that I don't have that flexibility and freedom because I am a mom and I have two small children, I, I kind of have this thing now as I've gotten older and I am a mom that I don't sweat the small stuff. Like yeah. some things you just have to let go and you have, you have to become more efficient with what needs to happen on a daily basis and mm-hmm. just simplify and make things efficient you know, get a a clear understanding of what's important and what's not important. And so I feel like that's how I've just having that sort of vision is what has helped me balance it. I mean, it's still every day, like, you know, really just trying to be efficient and working smarter and not harder so that I still have time to be with my kids and volunteer in school and go on field trips if I want to, but then also grow my business. And then the other thing that has changed from, you know, when I first started my business is I have help. I mean, I, we've been able to grow to a point where we do have help just on day-to-day operations. So if I need to go on a field trip or go be home with a sick kid, then business isn't going to come to a complete halt because I'm gone. We, it's been a very organic growth of our company. I mean, it's, we've been doing this for 12 years, so I'm not doing everything like I was when I first started <laughs> where I'm designing, making the jewelry, shipping it, calling, trying to get sales, doing the trade shows. Like I have help doing all of those things now. So, so I have room for being a mom and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it isn't that interesting because I think people who are just starting out oftentimes see someone who is 12 years in and is thinking, oh my gosh, how do they do it all? And, and I like, I, I guess I just feel like underlining that little bit that you've had the the experience and that it's through organic growth that you started to realize, you know, where could you supplement some of the help and you're at the point where you mm-hmm. can sustain help. So <laughs> I don't know, in case anyone, yeah. I always feel like sometimes people, they just see people where they are and then they think, how do I get there? And, and <laughs> you know, it's progress. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it is progress. And it's also, I got to a point where I knew that I needed help to grow the company if I ever wanted it to kind of get to the next level. And I remember someone telling me, what can only you do and what can you pass off to other people? Mm. And what can only you do? And I still think of that because there are still things that only I can do. I think also when you start, you know, when you do have kids and you have other things, like you just, you just can't do it all. And so then you're like, well, what's important? And what's more important now is being with my family versus shipping a box or, you know, like yeah. you become real efficient in what needs to happen. I think gets, you know, when you become a mom, what was some of your first jewelry? Like, would you mind going back in time and telling us a little bit about some of the first, first days, first pieces mm-hmm. briefly, like how did it all start? Well, when I, I first started making jewelry, I was also working in advertising mm-hmm. and it was also during the early 2000s when a lot of dot-coms, you know, the first bubble was bursting technology. <laughs> and yeah. I was actually laid off a couple of times because I was sort of a junior level graphic designer. And um, so I was always like the first person to leave <laughs> or like be <laughs> laid off 
and I always made jewelry as a hobby. And so I, you know, so I started selling jewelry in boutiques, mostly on consignment. I would go into boutiques in San Francisco and with a case and literally just open my case and ask if they wanted to start selling it. And um, because it was consignment where they would only pay me after it was sold, it was really no risk to them. And Mm -hmm. so I had several good accounts kind of just going that way. So that's kind of how I started. Eventually, I got to the point where I could let go of my day job. And at that point, I was doing design production and design for a small small ad agency in San Francisco. The So the jewelry, when I first started, was a lot of beading and wire wrapping and sort of things that I knew how to do based on the skills that I had. Um, And then as I continued growing my business, I got more interested in different types of metal smithing. And so I took classes that were available in, you know, in San Francisco and in Oakland, just doing more metal smiths and fabricating. So, and actually a lot of the style itself is, it's it's the same now in some ways that, that it was back then. I have a lot of some of the same charms that I've always used and I've always been interested in symbolism and jewelry and what, you know, wearing pieces that actually have some kind of meaning to the wear um, because Uh it's it's more special when the jewelry has meaning. So I kind of use a lot of the same symbols that that I've always used, but I definitely, some of the jewelry has changed just because of the way I've produced it and the skills that I've brought on along the way. Well, and I love that you mentioned first, just to go back a little bit, like I was also let go twice during the dot-com bubble burst. Okay. It's so interesting how, I mean, there's so many of us in that time and like, where are they now? I would love to do that kind of as, like, a, a retrospect yeah, to some of the people I work with. they had, like, pink slip parties, I remember. Yes. <laughs> and I remember one agency, they were just closing, and they had all this office furniture and computers, and it was literally, like, looting. People were yes. just looting the office, and they were just like, yeah, that's fine, take that. Yes, because <laughs> one of the ones I was at, one of the people, like, made off with one of the big screen TVs, like, you know, it's oh my gosh. Into his car, and it was everywhere. It was such a surreal time, and... Like, it I don't was. think any of us really knew what, like, what was etiquette, because these companies were, just for listeners, like, these companies were literally going under, and so the next in line yeah. would be people that they owed debts to, and yeah. many people were being like, oh, without any severance, no nothing. And so right. Like so they're like, just take what you can. Yeah, that, it was such a, such a crazy time looking back. <laughs> yes. um, but then it's also not surprising, because I remember you know, going in and there was, it's like these companies were funded, but they didn't have enough work for us to do. Right. Yeah. And so it was almost like being in school where you would give presentations to your coworkers on what you did. Like that's what we did. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Very strange. It was a very strange era. And I remember one of the, that same company, I mean, we were basically paying other companies so we could build their websites and everyone was like this is the most backward like business model ever we're paying you to build your web no so yeah I I kind of felt it there was at one point I had already lined up a job because it just seemed too much like people it felt like a dorm room we were sitting on bean bags and there was like skateboards and ping pong and and lava lamps. And I'm like, and we're all getting paid to, to show, to do nothing, basically. And so I had gotten another job. I got laid off and hired on the same day because I just <laughs> saw it coming. So. Yes, I actually had the same thing happen. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah, one and one, we're done. And yeah, then we're on to the next. Yeah, isn't that so yeah. funny? 
And then I, I also love the, what you were saying, too, about how your style has... Because I know I have some of the pieces when you said, like, the wire wrapped. I have a ring that has... Maybe it's a citrine. Is that one of the orange stones that you've used? Oh, yeah. I love that one. And maybe a turquoise one, too. But then I also know <laughs> you kind of went into more intricate designs, like the dahlia. And I'll post pictures. I, I can oh, dig yeah. This these pieces up but like your dahlia which is like is that stamped metal or how does that one get it's done actually that that is laser cutting yeah we went through a lot a big period of of laser cutting because it was something that we could design on the computer and have cut from sheet metal and so actually that how we we don't have a, a bunch of stuff done that way anymore but we have maintained our state pride necklaces um are still cut from recycled sheets of metal and they were designed using the you know computer but now we're kind of more into casting and designing in 3d and so that's what the last couple of years that's what we've been doing so we're still designing on computer but also combined with designing with wax carving and then having pieces casted so it's kind of a combination of computer but also with a hand touch it's kind of at this point morphed into like all these skills that we have you know what we're what we are knowledgeable about and then what we can do with what we got basically (laughs) and then of course I'm still do love you know beading and sending precious stones and and that and so we you know we'll combine some beading work with some original casted pieces yeah, it's really, but, now that you say that, but it's kind of the combination of things. I, I know I noticed on the site, both Sundance and the, and the Veracruz, like those do seem like there's lines that, I mean, like literal shape and lines that seem so familiar from some of your earlier work. But yeah, it's a different, mm-hmm. it's kind of a different iteration of it. Those were really beautiful. Yeah, I grew up in the Southwest and there's so much great influence of, you know, Native American jewelry. And that's what my mom and grandma always wore our, you know, mm. Native American pieces, turquoise and lapis and some symbolic pieces that are actually very, happen to be very trendy and have been for a long time now, I think. But I've always been inspired by that because that's just what I grew up seeing and wearing myself. So I, I'm always inspired by that. And then now I think I bring, you know, I, I kind of get inspired by antique, vintage Native American jewelry or Victorian jewelry and then try to make it modern and wearable and on trend now. Along with some of your past and your history, what are the, some of the things or where are some places that you get inspiration? It's a combination of things. I I like home decor and from, you know, mid-century. And I like all the bright colors that were used in the, the unexpected color combinations uh-huh. um, used in, in mid-century design. So I, I, I'm really inspired by that, just color combined with symbolism from Native American and Victorian jewelry. There's all kinds of symbols used in Victorian jewelry, like eyes and skulls and horns and crescents and, you know, all these types of things that I've always liked and used and kind of different iterations over the years, but I've always used those kinds of symbols. Especially if I'm looking for it, I can be inspired by anything I'm looking. It's like I'm seeking it out. Like I could go, like I was at the new modern art museum, the SF MoMA, and Mm -hmm. um, just all the abstract paintings. And also we're actually from mid-century I just love all that kind of color. So I, you know, so now I'm thinking of spring and I, I get inspired by that. So there, it's kind of from all over, but a lot of it is um, based on antique pieces and then kind of putting my twist on it. 
mm-hmm. um, and then color combinations from different different architecture and design periods. It's interesting how lots of things can just come into inspiration that way. I love that you said that kind of the Native American pieces were such an inspiration just because having been a, a small child, my family comes from Arizona. Um, I can see that influence. So it's it's interesting to hear that that is in fact what it is. <laughs> you know, like I've always loved some of your turquoise pieces and, and those mm-hmm. that kind of look. So that's neat that that's where that comes from. So what has been, I don't know, most proud moments or most exciting moments? Or I, I'm imagining there are quite a few in, in a run of, of having such cool jewelry to share and show and all that. Defining moments. Um, well, one big, big moment for us was last year our jewelry was featured on Good Morning America. And even though it was like literally less than one minute, (laughs) there was a lot of buildup. You know, they when they say they're going to feature you, they do kind of prep you for what to expect. So there was a lot of just sleepless nights in terms of like, oh, my God, like, what if, you know, we get so many orders, we can't, we can't um, keep up with it. And it ended up being amazing. And I just remember we, my sister and I had to we didn't want to ask any of our employees to do this because we were we needed to get to the office by 4 a.m. because it was going to hit East Coast time at around that time. So we yeah. needed to just be up and answering the phone. And the phone really did start ringing. And it's funny because it was I think it was like a 40 second mention and our phone started ringing at that time. <laughs> yeah. um, and so they featured our state pride necklaces. And so um, people from all 50 states were seeing it and we were seeing orders coming in and in waves as Good Morning America was hitting their time zone. Um, so that was really exciting. I was talking to my Michigan friends because they were awake. I was like, you got to watch Good Morning America. I went to college there. And so I was texting with them at five in the morning. And it, I don't know, it was just fun. It was a, it was an exciting time. That sounds um, awesome. To get yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's been some exciting little things that happened. But I mean, one thing that I, I am the most proud of is that I have get to a point where I can have a team of awesome ladies here in Half Moon Bay who can hold things down and get stuff done and help grow my business and that it's not just me and or just not me and my sister that we can actually be a part of a team to you know make a living and also grow our business but also be able to be moms so um, at this point, that's the coolest thing is just having that time, freedom, and flexibility, which is what I think all moms crave um, when they have to work and they ha- are moms. Because even even my my friends who have more corporate jobs, when they are able to have those work days from home, even if it's two or three days a week, it makes them able to function as a family, you know, more than when you're nine to five every day and commuting. It's just it's. I think it's just too much, you know. I don't know if you've read the book Overwhelmed by Bridget Schulte. It's a great read. It's how to work, love, and play when nobody has the time. Oh, okay. One of the great things that she points out is kind of what you were just saying is this idea of the perfect mom and that this person works and has kids and, (laughs) but that it's not attainable. And so that we're all kind of, we're striving for something. I mean, it is attainable at some level, but there's always something that gives somewhere along the way. Yeah, all absolutely. that stuff to happen. So, yeah, totally. absolutely. Um, yeah, anyone who appears to have all that stuff happen, it's not really real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not real. I agree. Or they're staying up way too late too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something. Done. Yeah, you. And then you can't function if you don't sleep. Yeah, right. sleep is not something you can allow to go. <laughs> no, not for long. 
starts to fall apart for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I know you mentioned working with your sister. I mean, you've, you've kind of talked a little bit about what your favorite part of working with her might be, but is there anything kind of unexpected that has come out of uh, either in closeness or business relations or anything that you found amazing just working with Kim? Well, it's, you know, I, yeah, I think one thing that's tr- that is really cool is that we really, we literally share a brain mm-hmm. because she'll say something and before she even says anything, I know what she's going to say and I'll finish her sentence. Yeah. Um, so it's like if, if you could, you know, some people say, oh, I wish there were two of me so I could like get all this stuff done. Um, I, it's like as if there are two of me because, you know, if, like business continued when I had a baby, business continued when she had a baby. Um, we're, we're all on the same page. I mean, there are some things that have to give because we're not like when we're both a hundred percent, I think magic happens, but like she took all, you know, a year basically. And, and that's important because the baby's only small for one year, you know? <laughs> and so I feel like, that's what it is, is like if I were to double myself and um, that's that's as close as as you could get to just having two of you is, is working with my sister and that, you know, we get along and we um, empathize for each other and we root for each other and we want to have success. So that's why the, the pettiness doesn't really get in the way. I mean, we'll have our little squabbles, but it's not even a fight. I would call like a disagreement and then we'll just say... It, we just, you know, that maybe that's the difference of having a friend or another partner is you wouldn't be able to let it go. But since we've been fighting with each other our entire lives, we don't take anything to heart, you know, like we'll have <laughs> yeah. a fight and then be like, okay, come over for dinner, you know? Aww, yeah. <laughs> so. It's amazing how sisters are that way. Like there's an understanding there. At least my sister and I are the same way in many ways that it's, mm-hmm. you know, I love you no matter what, even if we didn't agree on something earlier today or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, for the most part, I think we do agree on things. So, um, so that's probably why it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so interesting too, that you both had worked kind of in advertising and outside of, and not in the entrepreneurial space, but now you're both mm-hmm. in there. You know, are there some lessons that you have found that you took either from being in an ad agency or, I mean, I guess from kind of the dot-com bust, like, are there mm-hmm. some things that I, you yeah. applied because of that experience? Yeah, definitely. I think having work a varied work experience, working in an office in a more corporate environment, having a boss, I think all of those things have helped me with what I'm currently doing because there was an order, a structure, a level of professionalism that I think I learned by going to a nine to five job for many years. Whereas if I think I just became a jewelry designer, like right after college and not had those experiences you know, maybe I wouldn't be able to like be on an Excel spreadsheet all day. Sometimes I have to do that or, you know, have a conference call or go in for a meeting to get funding for my business or, you know, have meetings with buyers or, you know, so I I feel like having that experience has definitely helped my running a business. I, I also think starting a business as a young person and just kind of being naive into what was, how it even all worked helped because if, you know, maybe if I knew what it, what it actually took, I would be too scared to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. and, uh, and there's always a level of fear, like that you could fail or you could have a really bad season and it just could be a disaster or you would have to lay off people. So there's always a level of fear that 
a healthy level of fear that keeps you going. The feel of fear of failure that keeps you motivated. And now, yeah. you know, especially like, you know, working with my sister and like having our families involved at this point, like they're like, we can't fail. And so that's kind of what keeps us going. Mm. I like that. There's a couple layers there that are so nice, which is one, there's that healthy layer of like fear as motivator, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people feel fear and then it's, it's uncomfortable. So maybe they don't want to be anywhere in that territory. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. that's, that's an interesting point. And also that even 12 years in another thing to underline for people, like even 12 years in it's, it, there's still fear of, mm-hmm. of the next season or, of a new season or whatever. Yeah. And there's so, there's so much competition, you know? Um, And I especially, I think it it was actually more difficult to start this kind of business now than it was when I started because there's just more people trying to, to do an entrepreneurial lifestyle. And because of technology, you can do that. Like you can put, even when I started, you couldn't just put up a website or sell on Etsy or any of those things, because there was no Etsy. And you'd, you'd have to be a web designer, which I was to have a website, you know, so actually, my sister made our website, and we had a e commerce website, but you know, before Etsy even existed. So now it's everything's online. So you can go I, I remember, I would take pride in finding really unique gemstones or pendants or charms that you know, I would go to New Mexico, or, you know, go to different gym shows or Arizona to source some unique items. Whereas now like everything's available online and, you know, and now on Etsy, it's even hard to sell on Etsy because they're just so saturated. So just to stand out is harder now, I think. Yeah. So I I just feel like you have to find something that's unique about you. Otherwise you just get lost in there's the sea of other designers that are trying to do the exact same thing. And what kind of advice do you have for someone who's trying to get into that, their own uniquity is what my friend Michelle Ward would call it. But like, how do you tap into that? Or how do you maybe combat that, that thought of, well, everybody else is already doing this. So why should I? Starting out, I, I would recommend working for another designer just to kind of get the lay of the land. That's not something I ever did. So I feel like I kind of had to figure things out on my own. Whereas I think if I had worked for someone, I could have sort of had that experience on someone else's dime <laughs> a <Yeah>. little bit <laughs> and gotten a lot of use out of that before just trying to work, you know, on my own. Um, and then, you know, the best piece of advice is to just be yourself and try not to look at what everyone else is doing. It's hard because you need to know what is on trend and what other people are doing, your competition and that. But um, you really also need to have your own style um, because, you know, just being yourself, you are you are your only you, right? <laughs> so you have that whole thing. So you have to just try to uh, leverage that and figure out what that is and try to be unique. Yeah, I think there's something really nice about not, I mean, what, being aware of whoever the competition is, but not letting that influence you, like kind of carving out maybe the time just to do your own, whatever your creative process is, like set Mm -hmm. some time aside just for that and let yourself kind of what, like go wild with whatever you're designing, whether that be writing or creating jewelry or painting or whatever it is, because it's easy to get sucked into like perusing Etsy for hours and being like, ah, what is, you know, like, oh, but I can't do any of that. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard. I mean, you because everything's out there and you can look at anything and, you know, um, it's like you want to be aware of what's out there, but, you know, maybe do some, just do it different, do it your own way somehow, you know? So yeah, so what are you guys working on currently? I know you just, what you just shot for the holiday, is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we we just finished our winter collection, and actually a lot of the pieces, um, some of the silhouettes are what we had like 12 years ago with horns and tusks and some of like crescent shapes, like very similar. It's like I kind of, and skulls, I kind of went into the archives of what I've done before and mm-hmm. then just uh, put some update to it. But yeah, we, we're just getting ready for our big selling season right now. We have like six trade shows for over oh, wow. the next six weeks. Our sales team is New York right now and then Dallas next week and L.A. and then Vegas and then back to New York. And, you know, they <laughs> were just in Atlanta. So it's just that whole thing and um, making sure that we'll be on time for all of our holiday deliveries and finishing up our spring selling season. So it's always it's, it's a constant flow. There is no downtime. Uh, you know, we don't have a slow time of year, which is a good thing. But and then, of course, kids are out of school for summer. So um, I'm able to work <laughs> because my daughter's at a play date today. So all day and then I'm going to reciprocate the play date tomorrow, get this season going, but also still make it feel like summer for my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we've been running off trying to have, you know, I can't go for long periods of time. So we were in Tahoe last weekend. And then the weekend before that, we were in the city for just a city weekend and trying to balance it all out. Yeah, it is interesting. (laughs) I mean, my my son is graduating from preschool in what, two weeks or whatever. But, (laughs) you know, it's interesting to see, like, how do we navigate summers now that you know, now that he doesn't have that? Somehow it feels even though I'm not having like a summer, um, it still feels like summer because it's like I'm letting the kids sleep in and, you know, that type of thing. But So if somebody wanted to find some of your pieces, are you in in stores where they could go, you know, touch, see, feel it? Or how would somebody? Yeah, we have we sell to we sell all over the United States. We sell to mostly specialty boutiques all over. And then our website is where we have most of our all of almost all of our our items and it's just chrisnations.com. I will link up to both those. So if you're curious about Chris's jewelry, you can head over to the website. Anything else you want to share before we get into the last couple questions? So if someone listening has a big dream about how they can make a change in the world, what advice would you give to them about bringing their dream to action? Well, um, I would say do what you love doing. If you, you know, are aspiring to be a jewelry designer, go take classes, go look at jewelry, go just make jewelry, just do it. I mean, that's what it takes. It's just a matter of doing something and just follow what, what is your passion or your interest so that it doesn't feel like work, um, that you can always be interested in what you're doing on a daily basis and you have a good reason to wake up in the morning and love what you do because that'll that'll be the difference between loving your job and hating it just choose something that you love and then it won't feel as much like work thank you last and most joyfully what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life in the world or in other people's lives take time for yourself take care of yourself first spend time with the people who matter most to you 
in your life, spend as much time with them, be healthy, both physically um, with what you're eating and also just what you're feeding your mind, what you're doing on a daily basis. Um, surround, pe- surround yourself with people that you like and that um, you get inspired by and do less of what you don't like and spend less time with people you don't like. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. I like, mm-hmm. I like feeding your, both your body and your mind. Good, healthy stuff is, I love mm-hmm. that one. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's been amazing to have you on. I'm so glad that we got to connect. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun talking to you. Chris, thank you so much for your inspiration and for joining me. I'm honored to have had this conversation with you. If you listeners want to share how you've juggled multiple priorities and about how you can find inspiration in Chris's story, you can join the discussion over at Facebook at facebook.com slash jumpstartyourjoy. If you want to get links to Chris's site or find her jewelry, you can find her at chrisnations.com or you can find all the show notes by visiting the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 81. Next week, continuing on the Look Back Lessons series, I'll be revisiting my discussion with blogger and author Holly Becker. I love how she's inspired me and so many others to really find their own unique voice. I hope that you'll come back next week and tune in. And until then, I hope that your day is filled with so much joy.